Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm Corey Geiger. Thanks for tuning in. A lot of good stuff on the podcast today. We're going to talk some football expectations for next season. Bill O'Brien, what are your memories of Bill O'Brien? We're also going to talk some basketball. When is a good time or an appropriate time for fans to storm the court after a victory, we saw Penn State's fans do that against Wisconsin uh, earlier in the week. Uh, you, have, you have any problem with fans storming the court uh, in basketball? And then we've got a great basketball interview uh, expectations for the program this year. We'll get to that in the third segment. I want to start uh, the opening segment talking about expectations for Penn State next year. I didn't do a podcast last week. I kind of... And a little sick. I lost my voice a little bit. So I wrote a column last week with my record prediction and playoff prediction for the 2024 season. Got a lot of feedback on it. A lot of people agreed. A lot of people disagreed. I've got Penn State going nine and three next year. And I predicted that the Lions will not make the playoffs. I, I lay it all out in the story. Um, massive personnel losses. And I mentioned all the guys they're going to lose. I mean, fantastic players from this team. Olu Fashionu, Chop Robinson, Kalen King, three-fifths of the starting offensive line, Johnny Dixon, Daquan Hardy, good cornerbacks, Curtis Jacobs. Then you're also having to turn over and replace all three of your coordinators. Now, look. Can, do I think Penn State can go 10 and 2 next year? Yeah, sure, they can. Do I think the Lions can make the playoff? Sure. I'm not predicting it, though, because I just think there are so many question marks. Uh, again, with the massive personnel losses, Manny Diaz, I don't think the defense is going to be anywhere near as good next year. And so now you're going to rely on the offense to be a lot better. And like I mentioned, you have to replace three-fifths of the offensive line. I still don't think they've answered all the question marks at receivers. So I want to get into that here for just a moment. They did add Julian Fleming from the transfer portal. But why don't top receivers from the portal want to come to Penn State? I'm going to write a story here in the next couple of days kind of recapping Penn State's transfer portal Hall, why isn't Penn State any better in the transfer portal? You know, given all of the the programs, um, you know, 
all the good things going on in the program and, and all the, the luxuries you would think they could offer. But Penn State's just not, past couple of years, not been a great transfer portal program. Yeah, they did get Chop Robinson, huge addition. Arnold Ebicati, huge addition. Uh, and they've gotten some nice pieces this year with Nolan Rucci. Uh, the the cornerbacks coming in from the SEC, but those guys have to all prove themselves. But the re- I want to focus here real quick on the receiver situation because I still think the receiver spot is going to be a big problem next year. Julian Fleming is not a Big Ten number one receiver. He's never shown that. He can help Penn State's younger receivers get better, I think, with leadership and, and be a quality player. But I don't think he's a Big Ten number one. If there's a number one on the team, it might be Trey Wallace, I think we saw that KLS is not a number one Big Ten receiver. Maybe he can get better and more consistent next year. But again, that just that just is part of my overall huge number of question marks for the team going into next year uh, and why I've got them going nine and three. Now, like I mentioned, in the feedback, a lot of people seem to agree with what I was saying. Um some people disagreed, and one point that was brought up by a number of people is the schedule next year and how a lot of Penn State's team uh, opponents that they're going to play are going to have question marks themselves. That is absolutely true. I wasn't going to get into that in this initial uh, prediction story that I'm, I write in January. I'm not looking to break down the roster for every other uh, opponent, opposing team at this point. I'm looking at... Penn State's question marks and what Penn State's going to have to answer. Absolutely, without question, the fact that Washington is losing Michael Penix as a quarterback. USC is losing Caleb Williams as a starting quarterback. Ohio State is turning over a lot of its roster, although Ohio State doing pretty well in the transfer portal. Uh, You know, there are question marks clearly for the teams that Penn State will be going up against. And yeah, Maybe I'll change my prediction later on down the road if I take a look at uh, an in-depth look at those teams' rosters and the questions they have. Might they have more questions than Penn State? Again, all of that's possible. It's January. I I like to get out a record prediction now. And, you know, look, I I protect the right to, to change my opinion if something else changes. If Penn State goes and lands some unbelievable player or two out of the transfer portal in the next couple of months during the open next open window, well, sure, then uh, I reserve the right to uh, revise that record upward. If if some more outstanding players from these other teams that Penn State will play end up transferring out of places, well, then, yeah, uh, there, it's a, there's a chance. But basically, when you take a look at, and I pointed this out in the, in the story, Pro Football Focus, they've got Penn State number eight entering next year in their way too early top 25 on three, number nine, Yahoo sports, number 10 action network, number 11 sports illustrated, number 11 ESPN, number 12. So you got to figure those places all are figuring. If you're, if you've got Penn state entering the season in the top 12, you're counting on a 10 and two record and a playoff appearance. USA today has got them number 15. That's probably three losses. Sporting news, number 15, CBS sports, number 16, athletic, number 18, uh, that could be four losses, or probably probably three. So th- there is a split narrative uh, here with what we're going to expect ne- going into next season. Is it a ten and two team, a nine and three team? You can kind of go back and forth, back and forth. Playoff team, yes or no? Sure, ten and two is a possibility, 
playoffs are a possibility. But as I wrote, now and I, I would encourage you to go read the story. A lot of question marks. They're, they they got to answer a lot of question marks, including is Drew Aller good enough to go out there and lead the offense to more production? And, and it's going to be needed because the defense is going to take, uh, I, I think, a pretty substantial hit next year, just losing too many guys and losing Manny Diaz. And then you take into account you got to replace all three coordinators. That's going to be very interesting. So that, that's my pick for next year, nine and three. I'm not. I'm not down on Penn State. I think there's a lot of talent still in the program, but as of right now, in the middle of January, if I can come off, come up with ten huge question marks off the top of my head, I'm not then just going to assume that team can go ten and two and make the playoff. Can they go ten and two and make the playoff? Yeah, if some things go right and they get some better play from some areas than maybe I'm expecting right now. But I will say this, uh, and I wrote this in a, a comment uh, in the asylum on the comment section. Uh, somebody predicted Penn State to go 16-0, and kind of having some fun with it. Said uh, he's got concerns about the program just like I do, but still picking them to go 16-0. and And my response was, fan optimism is always undefeated. Uh, look, there, there are a lot of you, – you can have reasons to be optimistic. I can have reasons for question marks. You can be right. I can be right. You can be wrong. I can be wrong. Probably some middle ground on all of it. Um, fans, that's, that's the beauty of being a fan. You can place a whole lot on hope. I try to be a little more analytical and, you know, maybe critical based on uh, until I see some areas prove more to me than I, I've seen so far. So that's nine and three. No playoff for me going into next year, but they'll certainly have a chance to make the playoffs. So just wanted to get that out. I wanted to talk about it last week, but I didn't because I didn't have the, uh, the podcast last week. So check out that story, post your comments in that as well. news items of the week for the football program. Bill O'Brien heading to Ohio State as the Buckeyes' new offensive coordinator. I want to ask you folks to kind of ponder this. What is your perception of Bill O'Brien? What's his legacy at Penn State in your mind? I've I've made no secret of the fact that I hold Bill O'Brien in tremendously high regard for everything that he Uh, did at Penn State in 2012 and 13 during some terribly, terribly trying times and kept the program afloat. I think the vast majority of you probably agree with me, but I'm also aware that some of you disagree. And I've heard, I've seen the feedback over the years that from some people, some Penn State fans who are not just tremendously uh, maybe not appreciative is the right way to put it, but their memories of Bill O'Brien are not quite as positive or optimistic uh, as mine and some other people for the reason that Bill only stayed for two years. And 
it was clear even after year one, he wanted to go to the NFL. He came back for a second year, and then it was obvious that he wanted to go to the NFL, and he did go to the NFL. I still think Bill's an NFL guy. He's coming back to college from the New England Patriots, where they really struggled. Uh, so now he'll go to Ohio State, and he'll be the enemy. That's what's interesting. Larry Johnson did great work at Penn State. Now he's at Ohio State, has been for a while, and he's the enemy. Bill O'Brien, uh, pretty revered by a lot of Penn State fans, but he'll become the enemy the longer he's at Ohio State. And uh, it's interesting how that kind of stuff works in college football. I always got along pretty well with Bill. Uh, I have a lot of respect for him as a football man and for all the things he did uh, at Penn State. But I've also mentioned this before. I don't think Bill would have had a tremendous amount of success over the long haul at Penn State. I think he was a pretty combustible guy. I think that he did not want to be dealing with all of the garbage around the program at the time from the quote-unquote Paterno people. I'm not going to get all too deep into that. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, there was a lot of it at the time. And I will say this. James Franklin still deals with a lot of that stuff. James Franklin still deals with people whose primary concern seems to be preserving and protecting Joe Paterno's legacy more so than making the current Penn State and future Penn State football program the best it can possibly be. Yes, I'm looking right at Jay Paterno when I say that. I'm looking at Anthony Lebrano when I say that. And I think the factions of people when Bill O'Brien was here 10 years ago, uh, it was a large group, of, a larger number of people who were much more concerned about protecting their own butts and the legacies of, of other people than trying to move forward and help Bill O'Brien turn the football program back into a national success. Bill had to deal with a lot of junk, a lot of nonsense from people who I believe, and I feel very strongly in saying this, were trying to sabotage the program at the time and maybe didn't really want Bill O'Brien to succeed as much as he possibly could. And so uh, that's part of the reason why I, I hold Bill in such high esteem. Not only did he come in here, keep the football ship afloat, but he also had to deal with just a gigantic amount of BS from a lot of different people. So now he goes to Ohio State a decade later, and uh, it is pretty fascinating because Ohio State, as great as that program has been, Ryan Day heavily criticized. Uh, looking, A lot of people looking for some big changes there. Some Buckeye fans even want, wanting Ryan Day out, which is ludicrous. But uh, Ohio State... Lost a bunch of transfers, gained a bunch of transfers as well. I'll mention that in my story about uh, Penn State's transfer process this offseason, how the Buckeyes have done. But, you know, Ohio State's going to be good. They're, they're always good. They're going to find a way to be really good. Hiring Bill O'Brien, I think, is something that can help them. Although, you know, I, I think Bill has had some ups and downs as an offensive coordinator when he's not been working with Tom Brady he has not always been the greatest offensive coordinator. He's had a lot of success, but he's also had a lot of question marks. So we'll see how that goes with Ohio State. But I will say this, just from a purely personal and professional level, I, I wish Bill O'Brien nothing but success for all the things he did at Penn State. Uh, and to me, Penn State fans should be forever grateful and appreciative of what OB did. But I know for a fact, because I've heard from people and I still hear from people, that they're not as grateful and appreciative 
um, because they felt like he turned his back on the program and should have stayed longer and was only using Penn State as a springboard uh, to get back to the NFL and so on and so forth. But hey, look, if you're not going to appreciate what Penn, what Bill O'Brien did for Penn State, uh, I just think you're living in an alternate universe, man, because things could have really, you know, the program was in better shape than people thought after the after the scandal. The, all these, all, a lot of the talk around the country of the program just collapsing and not winning any games or going two and 10 or something. That wasn't really going to happen. There was still talent in the program. But the reason that talent stayed in the program for the most part was Bill O'Brien coming in and, and showing leadership and, and keeping as many players in the program as he did. So uh, I wish him the best of luck uh, at Ohio State. So I do want to mention one more thing before we get to our basketball interview in the third segment. We talk a lot in the interview about Penn State's win over Wisconsin at the Jordan Center earlier in the week. Wisconsin came in ranked number 11 and leading the Big Ten. So after the game, Penn State wins the game in overtime, and the fans storm the court, which is was uh, pretty cool, uh, but also leads to the question, because I, I did see people say, you know, why are you storming the court? They're only number 11 in the country. What are you, what are you storming the court for? You know, and I always laugh at those kinds of things, those kinds of discussions. They'll come up every now and then. That game was not in overtime, by the way. I, I misspoke. I, I knew it immediately, immediately when I said it. Uh, the Penn State, that game did not go overtime. Penn State won 87, 83 in regulation. Uh, but look, I never have any issue with fans storming the court. One thing I try not to do, in my capacity, one as a sports writer or two just as a sports fan in general, I try not to tell you how you should be a fan. You can be a fan any way you want, and I can be a fan any way I want. If you want to dress up in shorts and no shirt and go out and watch your NFL team play in a playoff game when it's 20 degrees and you risk frostbite and hypothermia and going to the hospital or doing what Bills fans do, jumping in like crazy frozen bodies of water. I mean, just if that's what kind of fan you want to be, knock yourself out, man. Uh, and, and if I want to be the kind of fan that yells at my TV or screams at players, I, I don't do those things. But uh, if that's the fan I want to be, then I get I have the right to be that kind of fan. One of the only things that I really ever object to is when fans boo in certain situations look i'm perfectly fine with fans booing in a lot of situations but it's got to be it's got to be in a respectable way chicago bulls fans booing the late jerry krause during a ceremony last week jerry krause built that dynasty with michael jordan and phil jackson and scotty pippen uh, and, and, you know, he's, he's been dead a long time and he gets booed by, by Bulls fans. That's ludicrous. That's absolutely pathetic and classless in every way by any Bulls fan who booed Jerry Krause. When Sean Clifford got booed last year before the Minnesota game, I thought that was extremely classless by Penn State fans. Anthony Morelli, I covered Anthony Morelli in 06 and 07. He came back in 08 to receive like a player of the game honor uh, before a game or maybe at halftime. And a lot of Penn State fans at Beaver Stadium booed him 
completely classless. So I have issues with that. And I'll, I'll raise an issue with the way fans will handle those kinds of situations. Uh, Cause that's really embarrassing, I think. But by and large, however you want to be a fan, if you're spending your hard earned money, you get to kind of do and say whatever you want as a fan. And with regards to basketball, if you're, team pulls off a good upset and you want to storm the court, I say more power to you. It's hilarious to me that anytime these kinds of things happen, you'll have people say, you only beat the number 11 team in the country. It's not like you beat the number one team. It's not like you beat a top five team. What are you storming the court for? You're Penn State. You were in the tournament, in the, in the NCAA tournament last year. You won a game in the tournament. Hey, act like you've been there before. You know, you don't have to storm the court winning against the number 11 team in the country. Well, you know what? Shut up. <laughs> I mean, if those fans want to do it, if they feel good enough about it, and look, there are question marks about this Penn State team with a new coach and Mike Rhodes, I, I don't have any issue with it. I don't think you should be storming the court if you beat some team that's not ranked in the top 25 or whatever. But again, we have a lot, we have an issue in this country where a lot of people tell sports fans how to be a fan. It's like, you know what, buddy? You do you, I'll do me, and, and l- let's just go about it our own way. basketball, which is really my favorite subject, and my hope every year is that we can roll into February and Penn State basketball games actually matter. Now, that's generally not the case when we roll into February, but I love it when we can roll into February and talk some Penn State basketball, and they're playing meaningful games. Tremendous, tremendous win last night over number 11, Wisconsin, at the Jordan Center. Max Ralph covers Penn State basketball for Fan Nation at SI.com. He was there last night. He joins us to talk about the game. Max, what's going on with you today, buddy? How you doing, man? I am great, Corey. How are you? I'll tell you, it was really impressive. I was watching the game on TV, and Penn State gets up 12-2, to and you're like, okay, Wisconsin took them lightly. You know, Wisconsin's the number 11 team in the country. They're unbeaten in the Big Ten. They're going to come back. Well, they did come back, but each and every time Wisconsin would hit a bucket to tie it at 41, Penn State would score to make it 43-41. 43-43, and then Penn State would hit a bucket. And at 55-55, Penn State went on, I don't think, a 6-0 run at that time. I thought the character and resilience of Penn State every single – and we're talking about you know, 10, 15 times – Wisconsin got right back in that game, and Penn State had an answer. I thought that was a really strong character showing by the Lions last night. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you, and I, I think I was just thinking about it this morning. I think that was the most impressive part about that game because, I mean, we, we can talk all we want about the shooting woes that Penn State has had, and they didn't have that last night, which obviously contributed. But Wisconsin tied the game seven times. It had two lead, lead changes. All of them came in the second half. I mean, you could think literally a week ago, they gave up a 10-point deficit to Northwestern, which is uh, a, a pretty similar team to Wisconsin, a good team. And so 
I was really, really impressed. If you just think about Kanye Clary and Ace Baldwin, I mean, they were getting to their spots over and over and over again. They knew the scouting report. They knew where to attack. And it just, they went at Wisconsin all night. They were not playing like underdogs last night. And I was, I was really impressed by the resilience to come back after putting up a 10 point lead against Northwestern, getting blown out by Purdue, like you said, to just keep coming back over and over again last night. It was really, really impressive. So what did we learn then uh, about 87, 83, by the way, at the Jordan Center? You know, if you can get Wisconsin, now Wisconsin's typically, you know, kind of that slow them down team. I remember 36 to 33, 12, 15 years ago with an abomination of basketball. But that's not this Wisconsin team. This Wisconsin team can score a, a good bit and has a lot of offense. But w- what did we learn then about Penn State and its place in the Big Ten because the Big Ten is insane. Wisconsin was five and zero at the bottom of the league right now is Michigan State and Tom Izzo and they're an NCAA mm-hmm. tournament uh, you know contender every single year. So what do, what do we think we know about Penn State basketball right now today? I think that the best way to say it is chaos. Honestly, um, Mike Rhodes came in here and you knew he was going to play suffocating defense and he's done it over and over again. I mean, think about the way they came back from 18 points against Ohio State. Um, and that's a team that's scoring, unlike Wisconsin. I mean, Greg Gard said it last night. They got us out of character early on, and that gave them confidence, and we never got it back. That's really what they're going to do. I mean, Ace Baldwin, I, truthfully, I've never seen a player have the skill playing on-ball defense like he does to rip the ball away and get steals. They're a high-tempo team. It's just, honestly, it, it just, we keep coming back to it, but it keeps coming back to the shooting. I mean, last night they hit 40% from three, but there's been, uh, coming into the game, they were shooting less than 30% from deep on the season, which is just completely unsustainable. It's worse than Mike Rhodes thought they were going to be. And I mean, really, if you look at it, it, it's, they shot the ball a little bit better in games against Michigan State or against Northwestern. You might turn those into wins. I think what we learned is that this team has an identity. It's to cause chaos. They're a, they're a bottom-tier Big Ten team. And the way you get wins is to take teams out of their style and play how you want to. And really, Penn State has done a good job of that in every game except against Michigan State and Purdue. And, you know, that's where we are. They can, they can hang with the best of them. It's just depending on their shooting. Max Ralph from Fan Nation at SI.com. We don't need to get carried away yet about, you know, NCAA tournament or anything like that, but they're three and four in the Big Ten. I thought they'd win four or five games total. I thought this was a four and 16, five and 15 kind of team. Um, and they've been competitive in, in all but the Purdue and Michigan State games. So to me, what Kanye Clary can bring with the quickness and his ability to get his own shot and finish at a high level. I think that is sustainable night in and out. Ace Baldwin frustrates me. Last night he goes four for four from three before missing one. Some nights he disappears on offense. So to me, if they can get some level of consistency off it, look, I'm talking about scoring. I'm talking about scoring, not defense, but scoring from Ace Baldwin, scoring from Nick Kern, uh, at least they've got the kind of uh, you know, ball handlers and, and and guys that can keep you in a game. What what else needs to happen beyond that? Yeah, I, I would say uh, Ace Baldwin. I was really impressed with his ability off the bounce last night. Um, as you mentioned, when he had struggled offensively, Penn State has struggled in games. I mean, he put up I think twenty five against Michigan when they came back. You know, 
he's he's an X factor for sure offensively. And you brought up Nick Kern, and that, that kind of segues into something I definitely wanted to mention was he slotted back into the starting lineup for the first time in 10 games last night. Mike Rhodes switched that lineup up. And honestly, I think that that is potentially a key here for Penn State the rest of the way is that Mike Rhodes hasn't been afraid to make changes early in the Big Ten season, which is huge because last night, Kudus Wahab had a possession in the second half where he got the ball down low, had plenty of shooters open on the edge, and he just went up and took a bad shot, and he got to the bench right away. He played a season low in minutes last night, this fifth-year transfer that they got, the best size that they've got, and Rhodes gave Demetrius Lilly a career-high 19 minutes last night. Nick Kern slots in the lineup, gives you 15 points, and Buck Johnson was almost non-existent. I mean, this is a guy who's a team captain. He, he's expected to be a scorer, a shooter, and he hasn't been. And what impresses me is that Mike Rhodes did not hesitate to make that change. I think he knows as well as anybody that this year is going to have bumps and bruises. But I think personally, the way you make it worse for yourself is if you're not willing to adapt. And I thought last night, I mean, there's a lot of basketball to be played. They go to Ohio State this weekend. But I think seeing Mike Rhodes make those changes right now is a positive sign for the potential to win more Big Ten games than we might have expected coming into the year. This is pretty staggering, really, to be honest with you. For the rest of the season, Penn State plays one ranked Big Ten team. There's only one team on the schedule the rest of the way in the Big Ten that is actually ranked in the top 25. Now, that's staggering in and of itself. That's Illinois, number 14, which is a month away. Uh, The Big Ten is not... They don't have, they've got Purdue at the top, but the, it's not a great league. You know, if Penn State's beating Wisconsin, that kind of tells you a little bit about Wisconsin. But the league doesn't necessarily have a, a great team other than Purdue that you think could go a long way in the tournament, although Matt Painter gets beaten all the time in the first <laughs> round by terrible teams. But the right. rest of these teams all just, the, the phrase is cannibalize themselves. They all just eat themselves up. Nebraska is a really good team. You know, Iowa mm-hmm. is Iowa. They're going to do certain things. You know, North, Northeast or Northwestern, uh, is, is a good team. You got to go there. So while there are no ranked opponents left except for Illinois, which might think, Hey, maybe Penn State could run off another six or seven wins. Is that reality? They, they're not going to be facing great competition here, Max, but. They're going to be facing right. a whole bunch of of good competition. Can they find enough to win, say, even five more games? An eight and twelve record in the Big Twelve in the Big Ten this year to me would be a, a tremendous accomplishment for this team. I think it's absolutely possible. I'm not necessarily going to predict it happens because look, they're not going to shoot forty percent from deep like they did last night every game, but. When you get a guy like Zach Hicks, who you brought in to transfer, who you brought in as a transfer simply to shoot the basketball, and he had gone last time went two for four, but before that he was over for like three straight games. So I think Penn State got bit by a little bit of bad luck in a few circumstances. They've had a ton of resiliency, and their style of play is exactly what you want to beat these teams that are better than them. They're going to turn you over ten to fifteen times a game at least. They forced. 14 steals against Northwestern and their problem was they couldn't score off of it. So I think it's absolutely reasonable to expect five more wins or so, especially because of the guard play. I mean, you, you mentioned the, uh, the collapses by Purdue and Matt Painter, you know, the big 10 is a great conference with size, but if you don't have guard play to back it up, 
you're, you're not going to win the games. And, and what Penn State has right now is the guard play. They don't necessarily have the consistency inside. So I do think that Ace Baldwin and Kanye Clary are two guys that are capable of keeping this ship rolling and producing a pretty solid season for all expectations considered. And it's not like there are a lot of great men in the Big Ten. Usually people just pound on Penn State on the inside like Zach Eady can just destroy them for mm-hmm. 30 and 20. But there's not, you know, there's no other Zach Eadys in the country. But there's not a lot of guys like that in the Big Ten this year anyway. Max, I, I just want to, yeah. what was the most impressive thing that you saw last night? If you can, not, not predicting going forward that it's going to happen again, but what was uh, what was the one thing that sticks out most to you? You know, I gotta give some I gotta give some love to uh, Demetrius Lilly. Honestly, I thought he was just an absolute spark playing 19 minutes a career high. I don't think that he's a guy that's going to come in and is going to key these wins that we're talking about. But uh, on top of Rhodes making that change to give Lilly some more minutes as a spark, he just he looked really good on the pick and roll offensively. Him and Kanye Clary were working really well together. And he came in, he fought for, I mean, he only had six rebounds, but he really was fighting hard defensively too. Uh, Mike Rhodes shouted out his screen and roll action. So I think he's a big piece that going into next year and his third year could really end up being that piece on the inside that they needed. But I thought he was really good last night. I got the chance to talk to him uh, before the season started, just about, he was recruited by Michael Shrewsbury and Stan and just really open and honest about it. He's a good kid. And, and I was excited to see him play that well last night and I thought he was honestly the most impressive thing that's not getting talked about enough. Penn State's uh, 9 and 9 and four, 3 and 4 in the Big 10. Notre Dame with Micah Shrewsbury is 7 and 13 overall and I'm trying to find their ACC and uh, where are we in the ACC here? Atlantic American Okay, Notre Dame in the ACC is two and five. Uh, so did Penn State win that trade, Micah Shrewsbury for Mike Rhodes? <laughs> That's hard to say. That's hard to say. I, I think it's too early to tell because Micah Shrewsbury is a basketball coach. He's just got the. Uh, He's got a tough situation over there. With that's a, a loaded. Really young that's a loaded question, Max. <laughs> you handled that pretty well. That's that's a good answer. That's tough to say. Good. That's a good answer, yeah. my man. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Appreciate I'm, the. I'm, I'm, uh, you know. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Corey. Appreciate the time, brother. Thanks, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I don't know if you know about this about me, but I had to get this one in there. Uh, I've been studying Japanese for about a year and a half now. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic dude i love that good job brother i had to, I had to get that one in there before we left but, that's uh, amazing thanks for me on, man thanks bud appreciate it max that's yep. one of the best jokes anybody has ever told on this show that is absolutely sensational after my uh encounter with james franklin oh my goodness max ralph from uh fan nation at si.com we'll talk some penn state basketball i want to get your thoughts 946-0435 if you want to join me um look it's it's middle of january they're three and four in the league is it sustainable what they're doing can they get to eight wins uh, I, I thought they'd win four or five games in the Big Ten. Can they get to eight? Like I've said, I've said this for a lot of years too. When you, we get to February, you just want some meaningful freaking basketball games. Just, just some meaningful games. So many years, Penn State's just buried and a complete non-factor 
once February rolls around. And so uh, if we get to February, we've seen it during some years where they made the NIT. We've seen it during a couple times where they made NCAA tournaments or made NCAA tournament runs even. Uh, I, I just love being able to talk meaningful college basketball when we get to February. 